Good evening. Whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you might be doing, we wish to welcome you to this episode of Just Another Conspiracy Show with your host, Jeff Williams. There's no point to ignoring the elephant in the room anymore. The charges of racism keep being dropped all over the world. People are always complaining about racism, privilege of a certain culture, disadvantages of other cultures, and... In all honesty, the modern world offers more opportunities for people than ever before. They may be niche markets but that are open to people, but a hundred years ago, people who weren't from the majority culture would be marginalized, put into ghettos, and even shunned just because of the perception of their orans. Now, it wasn't even necessarily... A skin color thing. It wasn't even necessarily a, a North American thing. For example, in the Middle East, uh, the majority of culture there does have certain tiers of people. There are the chosen people of the book, and there are the people who have not yet received the book, and they are treated two different ways. Generally, people of the book have to pay slightly different taxes than those who do not. And everything else depends on the individual country and culture. In North America, where, let's be honest, over the past hundred, several hundred years, the white Europeans have dominated, skin color had absolutely no bearing. Irish people and Italians were shoved into ghettos and given very <clears throat> limited economic opportunities. For the most part, they got manual labor jobs. Perhaps the women would wash some laundry, the men would build something, or move boxes, or whatever it took that wasn't considered to require too much mental effort. After all, they were only they were only capable of putting loads on their backs. Now, the Irish became very insular because they had come after the great potato buffet And as such, they were not necessarily willing economic migrants, but ones that needed economic migration. They had to go where the food was. And the food was basically everywhere except Ireland. Now, they basically had a very, developed a very inflated sense of their heritage. I don't use inflated in in a negative sense. I mean, they inflated their self-importance to remind them of what was important about their roots. And to this day, Ireland has influenced North American culture so much, St. Patrick's Day is pretty much recognized everywhere you go, be it a workplace, be it a school, everyone's going to be wearing green. More importantly, in most places, you're going to get some form of an Irish pub. Pretty much any city or town worth its salt has some sort of Irish pub out there. Now, when the Italians came over, they also became very protectionist. This 
The, the background of relying on their family connections eventually metamorphosized into the Mafia. Technically, the Mafia is known as our family because the Italians knew the only people they could really rely to help them survive was their family and the family ties. Family has a little bit looser definition in Italy dating back to the Roman Empire. A patron of a family might not necessarily be blood relative, but someone who is very close and very good to you. Hence why the term godfather adopted its modern meaning. However, in these situations, the, the early criminal globalist corporations were able to set up unions that were going to work to their benefit. There were some that had close ties with mafia members, and those people pretty much were run by the mafia. You could only get in if you had fidelity to certain gangs, and you would only have any chance of survival if you followed mafia rules. This is why one of the modern myths is that unions are just another form of mafia. The two do have a common history. It is, cannot be denied. But the fact is, it was formed out of necessity. The <clears throat> Irish people similarly unionized several places. And again, if you weren't Irish, you weren't part of it. They had very similar monopolistic practices, making sure your last name and family heritage were in line with their values. And... Right now, we're looking at two people that are absolutely white working inside a European-influenced society in North America. So, <clears throat> we can't even bring racism into this. This is countryism. This is nationalism. It's not even nationalism because these are people that have adopted citizenship of Canada, the United States, whatever it might be. But because of their background... In the past hundred years, there have been repeated attempts to discriminate against them. Now, <clears throat> back on the topic of racism, it's no secret that there's various jokes about French people's supposed cowardice, <clears throat> Irish people's supposed love of the drink, and the Italian machismo, which spread the stereotypes about them to this present day. And the fact is, racism wasn't invented in the Western world. As I stated earlier, the Middle East has quite a long tradition of racism and classism, and that is absolutely no offense to the people that choose to live in that system. That's simply what they know. That is what they've grown up with. But racism is perpetuated by those who wish to have something that they can always use against us, so turn us against each other. The Illuminati is always pleased when they have a way to divide us, and racism is just another tool in their kit to keep us apart. Think about TV on a news night. You might cl click on the news. Whenever we see news of a faraway land, it's quite likely to fit with our cultural stereotypes. <clears throat> when they show Africa, they rarely show the cities, the developed areas, anywhere urban, but rather they'll show the wildlife, the the slums, the ghettos, the, the outback camps where they have people sitting with flies landing on the children and somebody appealing for aid. Because that is the image they want you to have for Africa. Not the technological centers, not South Africa, which built a fairly substantial industrial base, and certainly nothing that would present the people in a positive light, like the universities that have made outstanding discoveries in archaeology and anthropology. Let's turn to the Middle East. 
where we're going to see crowds being agitators by agitated by speakers, shouting in a language that seems to be screaming no matter what they say. Again, this is the image they want of the Middle East. Angry people, orators speaking, demagogues trying to get the crowds up in a uproar, and they're all throwing rocks and screaming whatever they're screaming, and whatever they're doing. That's what TV wants you to associate with the Middle East. Just as they want you to associate poverty with Africa, they want you to associate angry, nasty people with the Middle East. And in Asia, they always love to show this crowd scene, this faceless morass of endless people, endless cars going by, and it seems to be a homogenous population milling about the streets in their millions. So Asia are these group of people milling about like ants on a hill, and that's the derogatory image of them perpetuated by the media. Now, let's try to turn around and look at ourselves through their eyes. We can get a little bit of a hint of this from propaganda that was used against us in our decadent lifestyle or immoral ways and the flashy materialism that we have. Now, admittedly to some and less privileged countries than we have, the Western lifestyle is quite attractive. But a lot of others prefer the safety of their own lives. Because the image that we see on TV doesn't reflect them sitting down at the dinner table like you and I, with their families, grateful for whatever daily bread that they may receive. And that is the lifestyle that they know. Why do, They do not prefer to live in fly-ridden camps be harangued by populist militants, or all do the exact same thing every day. That's all an illusion. They're individuals too. And not everyone's so attracted to materials motives as we are in the West. And after visiting a lot of the world, you're going to find a lot of comfort in the pleasant reassurances of your own home. I would never go to a McDonald's overseas, for example, but uh, once in a while, a couple French fries just remind you of what it means to be a North American. But racism has always been a great tool of the Illuminati to control the most globe-trotting person. Strange sights, strange smells, and strange customs all reinforce our views of one another and the outside world. Prejudice is nothing new. Again, it wasn't invented by North Americans, it wasn't invented by Europeans, wasn't invented by Middle Easterns, Middle Easterners, and it wasn't invented by Asians. In prehistoric times, there, there were dangers just by traveling on another tribe's territories. Even another family that lived next door might nurse grudges over generations. Fences were erected to give people the illusion of control over their property. But with time, those fences would eventually give them the idea that there was an other, an other on the other side that was not allied to you, your family, your friends, and they had sinister motives. And sooner or later, even however many fences that you could build, you would wind up no longer being a sovereign citizen. The need to form together as a collective was too big of a pressure for anyone to resist. Now, within that collective, be it a family, which is unlikely in a relatively developed civilization, a tribe, which is a step up from a family, 
better organized system, or a higher civilization, there is always a sense of us versus them playing out. This is documented intensely by Freud and Jung and several other psychiatrists, and they're always right. And the sense is always maintained by the people who want to keep the status quo as it is. You see, within the collective, you might have a rival, and that rival would be another family. So you immediately have an us versus them within your own clan, within your own tribe. There's also an alien them, by which I don't mean aliens, although one day it might. But by the alien them, instead of the person that is your friend, your rival, whoever you know from your tribe that you would have regular dealings with on a day-to-day -day basis, there's also the other village, 10 miles over, or a good day's trip both ways, where they do things entirely differently. They don't speak the language the same way you do. They worship a little bit differently than you do, and they just don't know when to plant. They don't know anything. We do things entirely different over there. And that is how they maintain this us versus them mentality, not only between civilizations, but within civilization. And early chiefs would have recognized this extremely early on and were very quick to develop it to their advantage. They're able to use the power of myth as constructed through the village or tribal elders, and they could easily polarize their own people with this us versus them mentality and work them into a frenzy to maintain the chief's own advantage. Now, I'm using chief in a very broad sense here. Any one of the ruling class, be it a tribal chief, a, a mayor of a city, a prince, a king, whatever that chief may be, I'm just going to refer to them by chief. Now, prejudice was the first development of racism. It was probably the first thing that came out, and it's difficult to know how far back into human history it goes. We know it has always existed according to our written records. The very earliest people would always say, oh, you know, we are all Greeks, we are all Babylonians, we are Assyrians, we are whatever, but the people outside our land are barbarians, to use the Greek word. And that was the first, although not necessarily the first, but it goes back as far as we can read. And in prehistory, it would also seem to show that there was a desire to keep the us versus them dialectic alive. You see, the very earliest towns employed walls. Ketel Hayuk was a very interesting structure, and it's one of the earliest known cities, and the basic town was one entire wall with the entrances through the roof for the people to get in and out, providing maximum defensive protection, but also, again, a completely isolated society, 12,000 years ago, ready to go, with us versus them built into the very fabric of the civilization. It, walls are, of course, a perfect way to keep the alien them at bay. Those who are not part of your group, your town, your civilization, are not welcome to participate in your advantages, whether they be economic advantages, tribal ceremonies, inclusion in your group. They are unable to scale your wall, therefore you are safe behind it to live and work as you see fit. Now, we'll have to skip back a little bit about 30-40,000 years ago when the Neanderthals were around. Now, we know that tribal markings are pretty much universal 
be it a tattoo, be it war paint, whatever it might be, tribes have ways, tribes of humans have ways of distinguishing themselves from other people. And it seems that Neanderthals decorated their dead. Now, their language and symbology we have no knowledge about, but they were apparently a highly complex people. After all, they, if they know to decorate their dead, we also know they would probably be able to decorate their living, as evidenced by archaeological finds. Once again, our sister, sister creation, whatever you want to call them, the Neanderthals, and very similar races across the world, also had the ability to separate us versus them. Now, they, however, did probably have dealings with Homo sapiens, our species. And for sure, our ancestors would have been able to tell the difference between a Neanderthal and a sapien. Now, whether they could articulate it or not, that's something entirely different. But it would have been something they would have instinctively known. Those are Neanderthals, we are Homo sapiens. There are extremely few archaeological sites with the two mixed together. And why is that? Because even operating that far back, there's still the idea of prejudice, and in that case, it would actually be racism. Because the fossil record seems to show that two species of humanity kept mostly to themselves. But the DNA record suggests that they intermingled. Now, this holds a lot of significance for ourselves. Because it shows that there are different branches of hominids, namely genus homo, meaning human, and they kept apart, but they intermingled, keeping most of their DNA as one. Now, from chimpanzees, it's about chimpanzees share about 99% of the DNA with humans. 99%. For perspective, dogs share about 5% of their DNA with one another. And think of all the variety of dogs, from the smallest poodle up to the biggest bull terrier. There's a substantial amount of genetic difference between them. However, in humans' case, with less than 1% difference between us, the Neanderthals, and most of the other homo species going back even to Australopithecus, there's less than 1% difference, 1 in 100 genes that separate us from our most primitive ancestors. I know technically chimpanzees are not our ancestors. We have a common ancestor dating back 5-6 million years ago, but for simplicity's sake I just refer to them as our ancestors. Now, however, since we cannot breed with chimpanzees, despite the Soviet Union's experiments in trying to do so, we were quite able to interbreed with Neanderthals and a few other, we'll call them satellite species from the Homo sapiens, that we encountered, like the Devonians, for example, in the Urals in Asia. And just as in the way that modern humans have interracial marriage, to varying degrees of approval from humanity's earliest times, it seems that humans were ready to intermingle with even the unknown other when the opportunity presented itself. By which is my fancy way of saying intermingling, they would, they would breed together. Homo sapiens were not, were not entirely adverse to having a Neanderthal lover, and vice versa. Again, the depth of the companionship is not known, but we do know they produced offspring that were accepted into society and still form our, 
part of our lineage to this very day. Now, from this we can surmise that the possibility of racism exists in both a positive and negative within our psyche, because humans were ready to intermingle with the unknown other whenever the opportunity presented itself, but yet we have this ability to differentiate and stay away from ones that we do not want to be there, um, want to be around. So human, humanity can become racist or not racist depending how they are nurtured, educated, and taught. This is an essential lesson to remember. Racism is mostly taught. It's not innate into anyone. Now, there are people who nurse grudges who have had things that were done to them that were perpetuated by members of another group of people. Again, race, color, skin, skin culture, whatever it might be. And that is what... That is a th th Just because you were victimized in the past, there's no reason to bear a grudge against everyone who bears the same race, culture, or ideology. The problem is... Like I said, racism can be taught or not taught to somebody, but humans are excellent pattern-recognizing creatures. Science is based around finding patterns and creating meaning from disorder. We are very good at it, too good at it sometimes. Whether we lie back and think we see faces in the clouds, whether we look into a painting and see something that isn't meant to be there, um, are it is all the work of the sophisticated organ that is our brain, hard at work doing what it does best. The hidden ones know this too, and they work very hard at making our minds create the image they want, be it on television, be it on the radio, be it in your very home in what you choose to do. Artists do this all the time. When they create music, when they make a painting, or they write something passionate, an artist knows exactly what they want you to feel. And indeed, the Illuminati knows it, well, knows it as well. See, the, what they want you to think is that your contributions matter. And when you listen to a great orator, such as a Winston Churchill, such as a Mao, such as even a Hitler... Their explanations of the world make sense because they boil it down to the simplest possible message. Getting a simple, coherent message across is one of the basic oration techniques. If you can make it simple, direct, and uncomplicated, people are more likely to buy into it because people like a tidy picture of the world. They like things to make sense. Occam's razor favors the simplest explanation as being the most likely to be correct. And the fewer jumps in logic, the more likely a person is to accept an explanation. We look on past cultures and their explanation for natural phenomena. They involve gods needing to be placated and judging them where all sorts of things from the weather to the fish to the very crops that you make. And you know what? If you sit still and observe nature long enough, it's not difficult to believe that there is a consciousness behind these forces. You, you might even call it a guiding force. And through religion, humans were taught that these guiding forces might also want to, you to sacrifice and kill in order to gain the favor of those guiding forces behind natural phenomenon. Even to this day, we get leaders swearing before us on various deities that they will be faithful to their vows and honor their promises. 
Now, on outwardly they swear to by God and country, but in private they're sworn to the secret obligations. In return for their service, they're rewarded with protection from higher forces, ones that can physically harm them in ways we can barely imagine. So they, they set themselves forth to create a simple narrative, one where you have the opportunity to get ahead in the world. You have the opportunity, if you support your country, that the country will do what it can for you. In a perfectly homogenous society where everyone believes the exact same thing, this ideology would make perfect sense. However, we, and indeed humanity, has pretty much always lived in a pluralistic society, a multiracial one, a multicultural one, and such a simplistic worldview does not hold true. That being said, People cling to those who are similar to themselves because they see a reflection of their values. As noted, people have been doing this, humans indeed, have been doing this since time immemorial and will continue to do so. But the new method of control from the Illuminati is to divide and conquer. During every election cycle, they cut us down into political groups. Are you left, centrist, right? Whatever it is, we have a platform that you can believe in. On a day-to-day -day basis, racial tensions are amplified on our news media and even in our entertainment. We would remain a divided people, which makes us easier to conquer. It is far harder to look beyond our perspectives, beyond our prejudices, to the person next to us and find common ground where none exists on a superficial level. Superficial, of course, being the basic dynamics of skin color, simil similarity, and politics, TV, whatever that is. There's a lot more that gets forgotten in day-to-day -day existence. We are humans, we have wants, we have needs, and one of those needs is companionship. Companionship can be forged between any two people regardless, regardless of race, background, culture, provided they're willing to work together. This is also why the Illuminati are busy promoting such strong messages of racial dichotomy at the same time as showing mixed couples. They want you to believe there's this racial movement against each other, that whites are oppressing blacks and blacks are rising up, that terrorists are coming to get us and Asians are taking our jobs. And at the same token, pick up any random film and there's probably going to be a multiracial couple in it. This causes cognitive dissonance in you, which means the two images in your mind cannot absorb. You'll be forced to polarize towards one side or the other. And as I mentioned earlier with Occam's razor, you'll generally go with one, the easier image to, re, to go with, which is not trying to accommodate how this mixed couple can be together, but while one group can hate another. So if you remain prejudiced and ignorant, you become a tool in the Illuminati arsenal. A foot soldier of evil, ready with little provocation to follow their plans, no matter what dark avenues it takes you into. And the more that you don't question the Illuminati, the more likely you are to be eliminated in the long run. That is their goal, to divide us, conquer us, and ultimately make us irrelevant. It's important to remember that to stand together, to stand up for your rights, and to stand up for your fellow man's rights, no matter what his background might be, or her background. If we stand up together, we can never be dominated by one. 
Now, Stand Up, of course, is the theme music to just another conspiracy show performed by Pipe Choir, who continue to produce excellent work to be enjoyed. Special thanks to a View from Space Facebook group and Spooky, Weird, and Cool Facebook group, both of whom have supported this podcast since its very inception and continue to be strong supporters. If you have enjoyed this show, remember our host has books for sale on Amazon Kindle, with The Secret of Solomon for one, and Cemetery Island, both of which are by Jeff Williams, are available immediately. These books support the show and offer another aspect for your entertainment and enlightenment. And a reminder that Age of Ashes will be published in the coming months, a post-apocalyptic tale of survival and hope. Its sequel, Age of Affliction, is also in the process of being written. There's also Blood in the Works, a work of historical fantasy that is a very different take on the Jack the Ripper mythos. There will be more books coming out every few months, and so the announcements on this channel would continue. But most importantly, a special thanks to each and every person who has invited this show into your homes.